Hi there, I'm Kristen Garcia Hernandez, CEO of Girl Scouts of Southern Arizona, and I'm on the chopping block at visceralchange.org. Listen to what we do. I don't have anything to say. No, wait, wait. I'm nervous. Yeah. It's an easy listening station. I'm right now. Why? You're listening to the chopping block. You're listening to the chopping block. You're listening to the chopping block. The one them on the Visceral Change podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to this episode of The Chopping Block. Happy to be here. And I have a wonderful guest with me today, Kristen Garcia Hernandez. Kristen, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very good. Thank you very much. Yeah, season three of The Chopping Block is underway. Um, we have had a lot of fantastic guests, uh, but I am especially excited for this particular conversation because we've gotten a chance to get to know each other over the last year and some change. Um, and I tell a lot of folks about the wonderful stuff Girl Scouts of Southern Arizona is doing, and I'm really excited for people to get to hear a little bit more about this from, from, from your mouth in particular, from sort of the, the CEO's perspective, as you can expound on some of the great stuff you're going doing, but also getting to know you as a person. Um, so uh, let's just start at the beginning for a little bit, if we might, Kristen, if you'll have me. Um, you're a native Tucsonan, is that true? I am very proud of native Tucsonan. <laughs> Exciting because I've been in Tucson for five years um, and I've come across very few folks who are born and raised here. Is that your experience as well? Absolutely. And growing up here, I always thought, oh, I can't wait to get the heck out of here. I want to go <laughs> to a bigger city. And I did that for a moment and found my way back home. So love Tucson. It's truly grown on me. Certainly as an adult, I appreciate it more than I did growing up. And I, a piece of me wonders if it's because of this relationship to the university or what the case might be, but um, maybe because I'm around a lot of academics who, <clears throat> excuse me, are coming here from you know, another school or another city to work at the university and that's why, but there's also a lot of military. Um, but mm -hmm. for what it's worth, I, I don't see many, but since you are someone who was born and raised here in Tucson, um, what has that meant to you? And how has that shaped you culturally in terms of your growth and development and you know your overall experiences in life? Mm -hmm. I think what I love most about the Tucson feel and the Tucson vibe is that we are a big small town or a, or a big uh, town, if you will, or a small, large city. So you can look at it from both angles. There's a, a big sense of community here. And, you know, certainly being, you know, Hispanic, you know, that Latino culture is really strong here. So I, I love and appreciate that. But there's something beautiful about everyone at some capacity knowing each other or being familiar with, if not you as an individual, your community that you associate with. So I love that. Um, to your point, you know, we have the University of Arizona, Bear Down. Um, we have that here. So that you have that strong community, but you also have that that sense of belonging and people do know each other. And I, I love that. It, it's very familia type. And I think that's certainly something that I, I truly personally enjoy. Not to mention we have the best food. I love the food scene here in Tucson. One of the best. Fantastic. When I have my family visit, when they can, and my friends, especially when I had my wedding years ago, um, a couple of years ago, years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, we all went out and got something to eat, and they were all amazed coming from Boston. But I can relate a little bit with with sort of this uh, sort of a tight knit feel. You know, Tucson has 
a lot of people, but it's, it's, there's still such a community here that where it feels like it's a lot smaller than it is in terms of population size. And there really is something to be said about that. You mentioned not too long ago that, you know, there was a point in time when you were like, I just want to get back out of here, you know, go somewhere else. And, you know, you, you're a graduate of Desert View High School, which is here, Correct. and the U of A, which, which, uh -huh. which you mentioned. Um, what kept you? Was the plan to stay and then just then, you know, life happened or, or, or what, what kind of keeps you here and what kept you coming back? Sure. I think, you know, in, in my youth, it was, I wanted something different. Um, you know, you you know what you always know. And um, post-graduation from the U of A, I did leave for a while, um, but I ended up finding my way back at home, back here in Tucson after a few years. One, um, my husband and I got married and, and we thought about long-term when we wanted to start our family, our family's here, him also being a Tucson native. Um, and that's something you can't um, put a price tag on. There's something about knowing you have your non that they are available to help with the kiddos and you know you have your siblings and what have you. So that was really the main draw. But now as an adult, um, you know, where I can choose to have a career where I want, why go elsewhere when you have that strong community that is very supportive of one another, whether you're in the for-profit sector or the nonprofit sector. So again, that connection I think is really strong here in um, Tucson in the Southern Arizona community. Without a doubt. And, and you know, you, you say so much, so much powerful stuff there because the community in, in, in some cases is everything. Um, there are some other cultures that will use that community to raise right, the folks, kids and, 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 and the youth. And then there are some that are just a lot, maybe a lot more closely knit in terms of the community is just your family and the smaller group of circles uh, that are your friends. But you talked about having family around to, to help raise kids. And that's something that my wife and I don't have. We're both from the East Coast. So we're just out here alone and not alone, but trying to figure it out with you know, Slayton, as, as you know, my, 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 my baby, um, trying to identify, well, if we want to do a date night, how do we do this if we have nobody to babysit, right? So I can only imagine the beauty of having that assistance, uh, which I'm jealous of, so, so, <laughs> right? While at the university, you, you received your degree from Eller. Correct. What was the degree in specifically? Uh, marketing. Marketing. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. So uh, two questions then for you. Sure. How did you find your way to Girl Scouts? Were you a scout yourself? And how did you kind of get yourself there? Um, and then, or either direction, or then tell me how your, your sort of your corporate experience, which I understand you have in the background, uh, prepared you for your role as CEO. So you take that either way you want. Okay, sure. You know, I was not a Girl Scout growing up. I knew very little of the organization. Um, and when I relocated back to Tucson, um, I was at a, at, a, at a turning point in my career in terms of what was I going to do next and what have you. And it was very serendipitous that once I relocated here within four months, uh, a former colleague of mine uh, from the U of A had heard that I was back in town. And at that time, Girl Scouts of Southern Arizona was looking for someone to come in and run their cookie program. Uh, and uh, uh, their retail store. And um, again, I knew little of the organization, but I, early on in my life, I was very committed to lifting up and empowering girls and women. So I was very intrigued from that moment and having the opportunity to use my background within the retail industry and sales to support entrepreneurship 
it was an incredible opportunity that I thought, well, heck yes. At the end of the day, I know that my time, my energy, my talent is used to propel young women to know that they have the skill set and the know-how and the confidence to be an entrepreneur or run a business or be a leader. It, it was a no-brainer for me. Without a doubt. And do you feel that it's sort of a different kind of payoff or reward working in sort of a nonprofit, for-profit, um, non-corporate, let's say, sector than it is working in a corporate sector? That's a really good question. And um, I think at the end of the day, whatever feeds your heart, whether it is, again, in that corporate um, perspective or in a for-profit, nonprofit, whatever's going to feed your heart and soul and keep you challenged yet motivated to the point where you don't get the Monday blues or you're excited about going to work the next day, you know, I, I think that's what's important. Whatever's going to fuel your soul and make you happy. And it's an environment that you feel you can thrive in. Um, I certainly had a fantastic experience in my in my prior world and have nothing but great things to share about my previous experience. But that transition to being working, you know, very closely with young women and and women, you know, the volunteers that make make it all happen. It was just something that that spoke to me um, with great depth. So hence, I, I went for it. Yeah, without a doubt, yeah. very few of us get to work in, in an environment that we, we actually love and, and we actually enjoy doing. Um, and it's it's saddening, but it's also the reality. So when you have that opportunity and sort of when you really highlighted this idea of, you know, putting your joy first, something you really enjoy, have a passion in, and that's sort of what you're doing. I think a lot of us can relate to that either existing or aspirational. Do you find now that you're, marketing degree comes into to play at all or or do you wish that you could use a little bit more you know it's interesting so i don't do a lot of uh hands-on work within within marketing or traditionally if you will but i learned the people side of things that's what i think i took most from my degree in um in my training and then how it helped me in my prior career and now is that people dynamic and at the end of the day you can be selling a product or a service or creating or building, but we are a world that is um, surrounded by people and humans and you can't take that component out of it. So I think that alone gave me a lot of great perspective. Um, I think the, the training and the education I had within the overall business realm has been incredibly beneficial for me sure. in that, you know, especially as CEO, I work very closely with numbers and data and forecasting and what have you and communication presentation. So all of those components have been um, of great uh, support and I, I'm thankful for that background and any other person in a nonprofit can tell you that Though we are a nonprofit, we need to run as a business in terms of making sure that we're cutting edge, we're on top of things and, right. and always looking to, to grow and be better. That way, if you're running a strong business, if you will, you have the resources right. and the ability right. to carry out the mission of what you do. So um, it's come around full circle for me. So very grateful for that. Without a doubt. And, and it's helpful to have that expertise. I mean, it... I don't know if you find yourself at times feeling like you want to engage um, the marketing side of the house more, even though that's not maybe where you're housed. I know that I find myself 
doing that at times, depending on which role I'm playing. Like, I guess how I would do it, but let me keep my hands off because, you know, I, I really want to do it. I still have that itch. But if nothing else, at least you're somewhere people can land to say, hey, Kristen might actually know something I don't know here. Um, so it's helpful to have that background. And you have a wonderful team around you, which I, I don't yeah. doubt you ever need to lean on anybody uh, in that way. But it's it's um, it's nice to have that experience in, in the background. So there's definitely a shout out to, to Elevate, which is one of the top management schools in the country mm-hmm. to this day. Yeah. So proud. I mean, they, again, innovation, and they too have been diving really deep into DEI work. So I'm a proud alum, and I'm so appreciative of the beautiful work that they're doing um, on all fronts. So, Do you all do any work with the U of A at all? With Girl Scouts, we do. Actually, we have a lot of partners, um, anywhere from athletics to um, the College of um, of sciences and engineering. And then of course, Aller nice. has been very supportive of Girl Scouts, um, as has, you know, most colleges, thankfully, um, you know, we Girl Scouts is the pipeline, you know, we right. have, um, you know, the girls that will be applying for colleges and what have you and, and interested in exploration. And that's a big part of what, you know, um, students experience at the university. So yeah. grateful to have a very strong partnership. That's incredible. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. We call that a town and gown relationship in the higher ed side of the house. When you have a city like Tucson mm-hmm. and a university within that city, there's just such a strong relationship between the two. I, my graduate school, for example, for my master's program was Salem State University in Massachusetts, Salem, Massachusetts. Your first thought goes to the witches, which is what they pride themselves on really as the, sort of the tourist attraction. The high school team name is the Salem Witches, for example. Um, that's also a real town and gown relationship. You don't separate Salem State from Salem. Same deal here. So to be able to nurture that relationship in the community uh, is, is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done some work together um, mm-hmm. and, and continue to partner on many things. And I'm grateful to, to be able to share space with you as often as I am. Um, and one thing I mentioned in, in some of our engagements was noticing that the majority of, of, of the girls Scouts of Southern Arizona staff and girls are actually white identified individuals, even though the majority demographic of Tucson is Latino, Latinx, sort of the majority population, about 43%. Why do you think that's the case, that that the majority of folks you're serving in one way or the other are white, though the population is majority Latino? And what does that mean for the services that are being provided by Girls Cuts of Southern Arizona? Mm-hmm. Really great question. And, you know, there's certainly some pros and cons of being a part of an, uh, an organization, an entity that's been around for, you know, well over 100 years. Right. And um, in, in being new to Girl Scouts, a lot that I had to learn was about the traditions and that nostalgia. And, you know, oh, my mom was a troop leader. And so I, you know, was the girl involved. And now I'm leading a troop. And you know, it's certainly generational, um, which is beautiful in many ways, but um, we came across a, an aha moment with one of our team members not too long ago when we were going over, you know, hiring practices and, and you know, really um, looking at what has been our hiring practices and what adjustments do we need to make. And, and she brought up a really good point in that we have traditionally asked for previous Girl Scout experience you know, that that would be um, something of value. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're trying to start and invite folks that might not have that background and traditionally have not been a part of that world, 
we were just, you know, perpetuating that sense of, you know, history is important. And so that was a really big aha moment, not only from a hiring perspective, but also from a recruitment perspective. So we've, we have been making a really, um, you know, cognizant effort for years, but in particular in recent years to say, we need to build that same sense of tradition, if you will, within all of our communities. And we need to recognize that when we come, we can't say what would appeal to a typically a, you know, a white group that has that understanding in, in tradition and history of Girl Scouting, but rather, let me tell you about what this organization does and then build that relationship and then start to have that generational impact. So uh, it, it's, it's been important and it's also exciting at, at the same time to say, okay, so what are the needs of, of our particular communities and how do we fill that need? I love that. And you know, you are, you are hearkening to what I would identify as sort of the, the sort of formation of a legacy circle, which is a, a big, challenge and, and part of the issues of DEI, especially when we're thinking about diversifying our recruitment and, and retention, for example, when we continuously posit narratives that favor one particular group, or when we intentionally seek out um, a, a particular experience or, or type, what winds up happening is we're narrowing our lens to a particular person or group of people that fit this particular mold. In this case, right. you were talking about how we're looking for people who had been Girl Scouts in the past. And to, to be something means you have to first have access to get there. And, and that's yeah. where the discrepancy might be. So, so, so powerful and important to be able to step back and say, let's re-examine this language and how important it is. And it's almost like the hiring process where it's required you know, qualification versus preferred. Right. Yeah, it might be preferable to have some Girl Scouts experience, but is it required? Maybe not. And then the pool opens yeah. up. Yeah. Amazing how that right. happens. <laughs> right. Right. But even in that that preference side of things, sure, it, you know, it, it helps for you to understand and have the background. But, you know, I certainly have been able to contribute without having that background. Right. So right. It, it, it's really helped flip that lens. And I'm so appreciative of that really healthy conversation that someone rose their hand and said, wait a minute, let's let's reconsider this. Yeah. Um, well, it's honestly though, I mean, I, um, as a person who examines a lot of job descriptions and has had mm -hmm. the, the honor really and privilege of being around multiple fields and, and, and various fields from I read to financial advising organizations. Um, I will say there's value in re-examining some of these requirements. I immediately think about the difference between masters and, and bachelors, for example, in some positions. And this is really relevant to higher ed. And I think about my time as a hall director, um, where it's a master's required position. And I'm sure I said this before on the chopping block on a different rant, but at the risk of repeating myself, take it from me. That is not a master's required position, I promise you. I've done it for years. I had done it for years. Um, if you know how to manage people, if you're good at community building and relationship building, of course, you have a strong sense of DEI, you can do this job without a degree, period. Um, but that master's required is what limits the pool a lot of the time because a lot of, remember to be a part of anything, you need to have that access point. And research shows that you know people of color in particular are not attaining graduate level degrees at the same rates as white folks are. Right. So what happens if you were to change that language? So 
well done for Girl Scouts in, in, in terms of us opening up the door for a greater population. Um, let me, let's pivot just a little bit and stay on the same discussion of, of, of race and ethnic dynamics in the city of Tucson versus what we're looking at. Um, we mentioned that the population in Tucson, the Latino population is about 43%. Um, yeah, what's interesting is that the, this, the, the city and government workforce in particular of Tucson is about 50% white. So we have an, an, a, a city whose, whose demographics of residency is majority Latino, but the, the city and government employees the ones who have access to the power are majority white. Um, and I say this to say, and not many folks may know this, but you're the first Latina CEO of Girl Scouts mm -hmm. of Southern Arizona. Right. Regina Romero is the first Latina mayor of the city of, right. of Tucson right, in particular, right? And, 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 and uh, this Tucson holds somewhat of an expectation where you would imagine that the city's leaders of all capacities would really represent and look like the folks who are there. And, and exactly. Um, so what can we draw? What should we draw from that? I know it's loaded. So, so, so take it wherever you want, but what's, what's the message here where the leadership, high level leadership is not necessarily reflective of the community. And we have wonderful folks like you and, and Regina who are brand new to your roles or the first ever, and it's just the most recent years. What, what do we take from that? What's the message there? Right. Um, it was interesting. Um, I had a really beautiful conversation about this exact topic with um, our former um, national CEO of Girl Scouts with the USA, uh, Ana Maria Chavez, who um, is from Arizona. So that's oh, a wow. nice plug for her as well. Nice. Um, but but she said, you know, there's pride in that, that she was the first Latina national CEO and in other roles that she's had since she was the first. And, and, you know, we had this beautiful conversation about there's some pride in that in terms of we can do this. We're here. We're doing it. It's done. Now let's go. Let's keep it going. Um, and on that same token, she shared, it also makes me very angry. Mm -hmm. How did it have to, how, how is it that, you know, 70, you know, 100 years, whatever it is, that we're barely there? Right. So I think it's important to own both aspects of it. You know, certainly have that pride, um, but say, okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. How do we keep this momentum? And how do we make sure that we don't wait another five, 10 years to see that in, you know, sister organizations or other, you know, other places where you have people in positions of power. So again, yes, you have that brief moment of pride, but it's also, let's get to work. Let's get to work. Let's make sure that this, this keeps on happening and that we're having more breakthroughs. And, um, and, and as I'm saying this, I'm visioning this one shirt that I saw someone wearing and it said something about um, hold and uh, how is it? Something like uh, hold to your heart, but also make sure you bring with, hold to your heart and bring mm. with. And I think I, I want to one, make sure I get that shirt because I think it's brilliant. <laughs> yes. But, you know, that's a good, um, you know, saying that that suits the situation. Without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Do you think, listening to what you mentioned, your own perspective from from honest perspective, um, as a Latina woman, and I don't want you to speak for Honoree Chavez, of course, um, if she was here to ask her this very same question. Sure. As a Latina woman, do you think 
and as a CEO, put this way, and priding yourself on being the first, um, acknowledging both sides. I'm going to set that context. Do you think you're ever actually working just for yourself, or are you responsible to other Latino women, the Latino community in general, who says, I, I can be there? Mm. Wow, that's really powerful conversation uh, question. Um, I'm gonna have to say yes. You know, it's it's more it's more than just you know myself. It's I'm a product of you know Desert View High School. I'm a product of the South Side. I'm a product of an immigrant um, daughter. You know, and so all that 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 I I I wear and you know as a hat that is in my heart that is part of my identity. You know. Um, I need to make sure that I share that proudly and that also I remember to connect with these communities to say, again, look, we're doing it, you know, here we are. And um, there is that sense of responsibility. And I do have it with that, with that lens, especially being, you know, a leader, um, a woman of color that not only do I represent my community, but I also represent my, my sister communities, you know, the black communities, you know, the indigenous communities to say, I not only represent myself as a Latina woman, but we're here together. And right. as a woman of color, I need to support you. And you need, you know, we, we, we're stronger together when right. we can both go at it. Without a doubt. And I couldn't agree more with, with what you just eloquently said, you know, it's, and, I, and it's really, it's me bouncing off of when you were saying, let's, let's get to work, you know, and so much of us, we just want to get to work. Um, but very rarely can we ever just get to work as if we are just another CEO, you know what I mean? Or as if we're just another employee, whatever our status level is, because what's always going to be there, what's always going to be there, at least in our lifetime, whether we pretty much like it or not, is right our identity component, which to your credit and to your point, right, we should be proud of as well. So there's something profound, really, about being the first Latina, right, CEO or and insert whatever the identity or the identification is that comes next. Doesn't mean that, um, you know, you, you don't do the job. Right. It is to make sure that other folks acknowledge that you're doing the job in a way that's probably not going to be the same way that somebody else did it, who, for example, was white. And that's the conversation around colorblindness, isn't it? This idea of you suggesting you're colorblind invalidates my journey. Because mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Chris and Garcia Hernandez's journey to CEO is different from a white woman's journey off the strength of, of being a woman of color. So I think that's a strong connection between the Latino community and then when you expound it to folks of color, why why the role is so important to have the opportunity mm -hmm. to engage. Um, when I talked about the statistics of, of majority white leadership in at least in city government areas and then the population of Tucson. Mm -hmm. Being a, a, a person who's born and raised here, is, is that a change um, in how you've seen the city play out and, and, and shape up? And if so, is it a change for the better? Is it a change for the not so much better? Uh, has it stagnated? What is, have you seen that? Does that sound unfamiliar to you? Does it sound about right in your experience with Tucson? No, it sounds about right. It sounds about right. And, um, you know, growing up here in Tucson, um, in, in, in South Tucson, I went to school with a predominantly Hispanic Latino community. You know, we had, um, you know, some of our friends, you know, some of our white friends would laugh and say, you know, I'm the minority here, mm -hmm. you know, um, right. because it was 
profoundly dominant, um, Hispanic dominant. So um, it was really eye-opening for me in college that I never really saw myself growing up. I never thought of myself in a minority group. I didn't see myself as, you know, it being that big of a deal to right. be Latino because that's all I knew. That was that's my right. community. Um, but it wasn't until going to the OVA that I'm like, okay, here we go. Now I, I can see it a little differently, um, which, you know, certainly has its value in, in having that perspective. Um, but I, I will say that I can see a sh it's, it's all still very consistent since, you know, I, I growing up here, but I can see a change in embracing culture significantly. Uh, embracing the Latino uh, culture, um, the indigenous culture. I'm proud to say that I, I have seen a shift in the community really honoring um, that I don't think we, we did as much, you know, when I was younger. Um, still, still a lot more to go, you know, still so much more to do, but we're starting to see that. And um, again, as we go back to talk about the beauty about Tucson, I think that we've been really embracing of culture here. Yes. So. I'm, I'm proud to see the progress that we're having. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm, <clears throat> I'm grateful to be able to call Tucson home, you know, at this point in time in my life. And, and um, for my short time that I've been here, I've definitely seen a change as well. And some of the things you mentioned for what it's worth, um, and which is always a, a sign of progression, that's what we want when we get into that particular area. Um, so, when you took over as CEO, Girl Scouts of Southern Arizona was in uh, pretty much a rebuilding year, um, almost like that. Um, you know, uh, to use to use a sports analogy, you know, we're going to sort of rebuild and, and and come back strong for a, a new lottery pick and so on and so forth. Right here comes Chris Garcia Hernandez, etc. Um, right, and was sort of leaving of a previous administration, moving into a, a new way of thinking, a new way of approaching the work. Um, just thinking about your transition from one administration to the next, what did you learn? Um, or better yet, what did the previous administration teach you about leadership as you mm -hmm. began to prepare for this role um, based on your experience with the Girl Scouts prior to being a CEO and then moving into a CEO? Um, what did it teach you about leadership and how did you use that to, to engage the work in the way that you're doing today? Yeah. I will say that, you know, my response also has to be paired with, I took over as interim CEO in March of 2020. So everything is shifted. Right. Um, you know, it was a, it, from every angle, operationally, culturally, financially, how we were going to execute and deliver everything was just <laughs> so incredibly different. And everything that you thought you knew really went out the door. <laughs> <That went through. laughs> <laughs> uh, so I preface with that, um, you know, I will say that what I'm very grateful for is, um, you know, from, from, you know, prior leaders and, um, and not just here at Girl Scouts, but, but prior to that was learn, absorb and take everything, learn from the good, model it, learn from the mistakes, fix it. Um, take everything that you can, every learning moment to do better and be better and grow. Yes. Um, and, and so I certainly absorbed that. And then also I had to really embrace the, the notion that I have to be me. I have to be an authentic leader as who I am. 
And um, the training that I did, that I had, that's fantastic. And I'll certainly use that, but I have to go with my gut and what feels right. Um, and, and every leader should take that approach. You know, if you try to lead in a different way, it, it, it won't suit you well. Um, but I also really embrace that habit and history concept to really, you know, take a look and, and examine, are we doing it because we've always done it this way? Can we change things? What do we change? And, and how, do we, how do we serve and be who we need to be today in the culture that we're dealing with? You know, for example, the pandemic, everybody was in a very different emotional state. Yes. Um, some in a very different physical state, you know, whether it was due to illness or just how your body manifested that. And then followed with, you know, the summer that we had of 2020 with all the social unrest and, you know, everything with George Floyd, everything really magnified to say, okay, America, okay, Southern Arizona, okay, Girl Scouts, where do we go from here? Right. What are we going to do? Yes. How are you, are you going to sit there and watch? Are you going to be active and, and proactive? Are you going to take a stance? Are you going to reflect? Um, and, and who will be, who will you be coming out of it? Where will you go from here? Um, so really certainly took a lot of that to heart in every aspect that we did and, and knowing who our, our demographic is and in girls and being there to say, we teach girls to learn and embrace all the time, but as an organization, are we ourselves doing the same? Right. So yes. really holding that to, to heart and, and that's how we've been approaching. Um, that's certainly how I've been leading going forward. Every moment is a learning moment, soaking up learning, listening, and not listening to respond, but really listening to understand right. um, has been so important and invaluable. And it's really helped us craft a, a very beautiful culture um, in terms of everyone is here to, to be learners and to model what we ask and, and, and try to promote for our girls. Without a doubt. Did, did you, I'm, I'd be curious, did you, um, were you able to hit the ground running or did you feel like you had to kind of prove to folks that, hey, I can do this um, as well or I'm ready for the job, really more so where I wanna go with that. Um, was it a pretty much a seamless transition for you or, or um, did you have to kind of work for it a little bit? A little of everything, <laughs> a little of all that you described. I, I, I felt that, okay, here we go. You know, we had a solid team, let's do this. Then again, um, pandemic one weekend, we're coming up with contingency plans. Right. Um, and there was a little bit of, thankfully I felt that I had the support right. and that I had um, folks saying, okay, Kristen, you can do it, let's do it. We, we have you, we're holding you as you do this role. But, um, but yeah, there was a sense of also having to prove who I was because being in an organization 12 years prior to taking on the role of CEO, right. you know, that was Kristen in another capacity. Now you have Kristen as the CEO. And though I don't change as a person, I have to think differently. I That's have right. to, to yep. interact differently. I have to solve differently. Yep. Um, and I respond differently. So I, I, I truly do believe that not only internally, but externally, it did take some time for, for folks to see me as Kristen, the CEO, um, and, and, and what is her vision and what, where is she going and, and, and what, is the, what is her style and approaches as she takes on this work? Without a doubt. And, and I, could, <laughs> I imagine that being where some of the biggest areas to, to, for folks to grapple with being not necessarily 
oh, I don't want Chris in here. She can't do the job. More so approaching you as if you were in a former position, but you're not, and you have to operate a little bit differently. And I can relate to that. Um, and I think that's something a lot of folks can relate to. Even uh, I mentioned sports earlier, like even going from, you know, a part of the team to captain, like your, your, your approach to the work to the, is different, you know, like getting promoted to an assistant director, um, it changes your scope as well and your access to the thing. So especially folks are friendly, like it's legitimately your friend that is now reporting to you, which, which right. can make things some dicey sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's, let's get a little critical here, uh, if I may, Kristen. Um, so it's no secret that Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, right? These are gender-based organizations. Um, as a gender-based organization operating in a society that is increasingly challenging the notion of gender, um, uh, what have some of the conversations looked like for you? Uh, and maybe if anything, what have you been asked or say, what has been asked of you as a result of having these conversations? Yeah, it, it's been one of my um, areas that's had a lot of my attention actually in this sure. in this last year is we're really diving in, you know, in terms of diversity and, and being an inclusive organization. And, and yes, we are Girl Scouts. We are a gender specific organization. Um, and as you said, in a world that is really going away from being, you know, as, as binary, if right. you will. And um, certainly something that we've, we've gone through is we have been uh, an embracing organization. If you identify as a girl, you are a Girl Scout. Very simply said, um, it doesn't matter, cis, trans, you are a Girl Scout, you are welcome. Um, but again, that's still in that binary concept uh, right. construct. So with that, we we've had to navigate that space. You know, when we have, um, you know, Girl Scouts have been a part of the membership that are non-binary or gender fluid um, or identifying as male. You know, where do we go? Right. And um, you know, that's certainly something that we've been. Uh, having conversations around and really trying to um, implement practices and, and, and procedures around that in terms of safety, first and foremost, um, being a part of a national organization, things also operate a little differently. Right. I can't make decisions in isolation. I can't say, well, what feels right for us here in right. Southern Arizona, you know, I have to be mindful of the national movement right. and really where all these conversations, all this research has taken us locally and nationally is that we are a space that preaches sisterhood, um, you know, a safe space to be here. And how do we tell a, a Girl Scout member or an individual to say, you've been a part of the sisterhood um, and you, you are now non-binary or you, you're transitioning to male, how do we say thank you, but no thank you? Right. You know, let's find another organization for right. you. In some right. cases, it might need that, you know, that, sure. that female space might not suit that kiddo at that time anymore mm -hmm. um but but really where our hearts have landed and and really nationally when thinking about it is once you're part of the member you're a girl scout through and through um again whether they he you're a girl scout you've been a part of this movement and and you know we stand with you um now that takes a lot of work in terms of just saying that as a as a as a viewpoint but how do we create the space that is really, you know, supportive of that and welcoming? And, um, you know, there's been a shift in our language, even in terms of 
recognizing that it's not, hey girls, let's let's all come out or um, you know, being mindful of that, that that we're saying, hey, Girl Scouts or hey camper or hey, um, hey folks, you know, using language. We all know language is powerful and right. you know, right. we know the the significance and the importance of pronouns. Um, where we grapple is where is our place in terms of educating on pronouns? And, and I'll be very transparent, you know, we're still navigating that space, but certainly recognizing and honoring um, when, when those have been brought forth. So we've had, um, you know, members who have said, I identify as he, but I'm a Girl Scout. He said, great, that's fantastic, let's go. Right. Um, but but it, it has taken some time to get here, to be very honest. And you know, we're we're still we're still navigating that space and we stand true that we are a space for, you know, that we welcome and we're here to serve girls, but we recognize that it's it's much bigger and broader than that. And we want our members to feel safe and comfortable. Right. No, the, the, the conversation, the approach certainly isn't what it was five years ago. Um, oh you know, yeah right so it, five years ago a year from now and I think even a year a, a year before and you know a right. year from now it might be different so that's right um, yeah. learning yeah. to stay you know fluid and nimble is is certainly something we've like we've that. embraced fluid and nimble yeah and staying you know staying current is incredible I mean you just have to be willing to to remain in tune with society mm -hmm. and what's going on and, and and make those adjustments you mentioned um being responsive to sort of national and and i think that's a, a wonderful answer because i think a lot of times a lot of critics <clears throat> have just a, a, a sort of a, a a smaller view of what's actually happening and it wouldn't be fair to put the complete onus on girls because of southern arizona if there was a gripe we have to remember that there is a national mandate of sorts so in that for the listeners that are that may be curious to hear more have you have you heard of or seen any changes at the national level that might actually be positively impacting you all in some of these conversations? Yeah, absolutely. I know um, it's it's December 1st, here we are. Um, ooh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> totally fine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> totally fine. Yes, we're... Um, Thankfully, the conversation is certainly happening at that national level, and and I'm I'm proud to say that the 112 councils that make up uh, Girl Scouts of the USA we're we're all coming together, and and new guidance is coming out consistently, and um, you know frankly monthly we're having conversations around this. So certainly we're seeing things you know adapt and change and evolve, and what's really important is that we're 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 trying to embrace this in a collective manner, and that you know what you're getting here in Southern Arizona is what you can expect in in texas and florida what have you perfect perfect and i think that's huge because i know that i'm sure you as well but i know other organizations kind of benchmark a little bit off of one another to see what's going on here what language are you using how are we doing this and if you don't have a national mandate at least you know there's some, some flexibilities right to be flexible and you know, fluid and nimble as you said to kind of see what works here what works here and how can it work here in particular. So I, I, I like that relationship. I think that's, that's serving you all well. Mm -hmm. I got a couple more questions if you're willing to hang sure. with me. <laughs> okay, yes, indeed. Right. Lovely. Um, so, and in, in your press release, when you first moved into this particular role, um, K-Gun 9, which is sort of the local Tucson station and there's Tucson shared. I'm gonna read a couple things here so I can, we can toot your horn nicely here. Kristen, uh, you've been recognized as one of Arizona's 40 Hispanic leaders under 40. 
as an up-and-comer at one point in time by Inside Tucson Businesses Up-and-Comers, uh, and that you're a recipient of the Education Award, Ordinary Women Doing Extraordinary Things from Ella College of Management, which we talked about and graduated from, and Undergraduate Professional Women's Business Association. So first off, congrats on all of that. I'm sure some of those are have some some are dated a little bit, but an award is an award. It's incredible to know that you're still uh, uh, being honored for the wonderful stuff that you're doing. What do these accolades mean to you as you reflect back on this journey to success that you've had? Oh, I don't know that I've, I've given much thought in that regard. So I appreciate that question. Um, we talked about representation matters. And, you know, one thing that certainly always stands out for me is, is pride, not necessarily for myself, but pride for my dad. My dad is always the first to come to mind again, uh, immigrant, um, you know, now a U.S. citizen, but he had a, he did not have, you know, um, a strong upbringing, um, and, and he sacrificed a lot and did everything he could to be able to provide, um, his girls, myself and my two sisters with every opportunity that we could possibly have. So, you know, for that, there's, there's pride in that. I, I, I want to show him like, look, you know, daddy, this is you too. You right. made this possible. You provided everything to me to allow me to get to that point. Um, so I, I would have to say a lot of that goes in, in, in honoring him and the sacrifice and my mom as well. My mom of course, of course. too. Um, but certainly it, it, hit, it hits home for, for how I feel about my father and everything he did to, to be able to get to this point. I can appreciate that for many reasons, of course, as, as a dad myself, you know, and, and, you know, Sometimes, uh, you know, men, we've been doing a lot more to work on ourselves as a group. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the stereotypes that we're trying to constantly beat down, especially as a, as a, as a Black dad for myself, hearing right, praise for fathers really hits me in the chest. Um, but also, like, I, 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 you know, I am the youngest of six. And I always say that if it wasn't for the first five, I wouldn't be able to have the latitude that I do have in life, being able to move cross country, not having to be as concerned about parents aging or other folks aging, because I know other five folks are, are there, right? Um, and so I've always had the mind of when I set up shop, I want to do it in a place where my family has a vacation to come see me, mm. not not just go up the street or, or to the next city over, right? So, so I can appreciate your words there. It's, that's, that's powerful. And there's a lot more in your future. You know, make no mistake about it. Uh, <laughs> the, the wonderful work that you're doing and you keep doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, again, grateful for, for my father, but again, I also think of, you know, all the girls that, you know, grew up on South Tucson that, you know, maybe they didn't think college was for them, or they maybe didn't think that they would go far in a career or, you know, what, what would their future hold? You know, I, I hold that near and dear to my heart as well. It's, it's, it's so important. And, and I think that also helps me in terms of serving the girls that I that I and my team does. Yep. That we're here for our young women to to have bigger and greater and and and, and more success than any of us could. So yes. you know we're building on each other. That's how. That's right. That's right. And and you know you throw that that hook back. Come on up. I got you. And you know let's do this together. You know and it's a, in unity, which is which is huge. And we talked a little bit about representation. We've had a good conversation on DEI. I want to kind of um, bring us back to, to, to DEI at large with sort of another question here. And I can attest to this. Uh, one thing you have been very vocal about since becoming CEO and transitioning into this role is taking what I would believe a, a, 
a very clear and very loud position on things like anti-racism and anti-blackness. Um, there, there's a pledge on your website, for instance, you yourself wrote a letter last year um, following the events of uh, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and countless others to kind of state the position of, of Girl Scouts of Southern Arizona um, moving forward in the work that you intend to do. Um, but as a nonprofit who receives funding from, from donors and, and, and possible grants and alumni even, um, have you seen this outward facing commitment to, to DEI in particular, things like anti-racism, anti-blackness, uh, have you seen this commitment to social justice become off-putting to some folks to such a degree where maybe the support for Girls Across Southern Arizona has shifted? Um, you know, I'm I'm happy to say from a donor perspective, I haven't seen it, or at least oh, I'm not aware of it. That's good. Um, because I, I think what's important is that you're you're very honest and transparent in, in these views and, and you don't shy away from it from one audience to another. Um, and, and, and again, thankfully, I feel we're solid there. Um, being very transparent, we did lose some members. We did. And, um, and having to have those conversations, you know, with, um, you know, previous volunteers or, or families and members, um, it's hard. You never want to, you never want to see a departure based on, um, based on something that you feel is so right and you know is right. right, but you have to be okay with it at the same time. Um, and and I, I, we have no regrets, we, we stand firm, we affirm and we'll continue to do so in ensuring that again, we are an organization that says we are for every girl and all girl, all girls, then we really need to own that. And we need to say, if, if one of our Girl Scouts is hurting, she is important and she is the focus right now. Doesn't mean that everyone else isn't, but, you know, when she, you know, when, when I have this Girl Scout and we say Black Lives Matter, it's important because she matters. We have to put a face to every time we're making comments or, or, or talking about things, put the face, you know, put a face on there. And then how do you feel? And so as we, we really take this approach and, and knowing that we haven't gotten it right in the past and, and we'll most likely not because we, we mean to, but we'll make mistakes along the way, but we have to really be authentic and really make sure that we are representing all our communities and we stand with them. And, you know, we've adopted this philosophy that you don't have to fully understand someone's perspective to respect them and to respect that. And, and, and that's, the, that's the role we're taking. You might not agree, you might not fully understand, but you have to respect. Thank you for that. Um, and the, the transparency, the honesty. Um, you know, it, this is difficult work. You heard me say this before. If you're leaving true DEI work, true social justice work, if you're leaving there jovial, right, and, and excitable and happy, you, you didn't have the conversation in some cases. It's, it's, it's supposed to the true work. There are some areas where we're raising awareness and, and you know, we can talk about it in a particular way, but when you're ready to go, it's gonna be uncomfortable, supposed to be, because a lot of times, the majority of the time, you're unearthing things, most often to people with those dominant identities who, who, are, who are receiving the privilege and therefore on the receiving end of the conversations. Um, so to hear that, you know, some members departed and, and things like that, it's not surprising, but it's, it's telling, I think, of, right, of the state of where some people very much are today, so. Right, right. 
and you've, you've taught us this and, and we've embraced it and we find ourselves saying it often, we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. And that, that statement holds so much weight. And when you really, really listen in, as you said, this work, it, it's, it's hard. And where what's been a struggle, what was a struggle, I will say early on, um, you know, with uh, members, former members of the organization is we need to sit down. If we're going to really do this, we need to sit down and come together and bring all your emotion, bring all your feelings, bring your past, bring your experiences, but let's do this together. Yes. Trying to just stop the conversation, say you are who you are, you feel how you feel. And this was that it's not healthy. It's not gonna, it's not gonna get us to the next step. It's not gonna find solution. And, you know, as I step back and look at council culture and it just, it angers me, it breaks my heart if I'm being transparent because where did we, where can we not just come together? Let's, let's work it out together. We're stronger together. And I mean that in every instance and, you know, let's have the hard conversations, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and respect as well. Of course, like we said, you know, respect first and foremost, but if we're going to achieve anything, if we're going to change anything, we have to come together to do it. Right. And, you know, cancel culture is a, a difficult one, especially one for us old heads, because, you know, um, there's nuance. There, there, there is gray air. There is gray. I mean, gray areas exist. Um, um, and, 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 you know, a, a beautiful way of reimagining cancel culture came from, I heard it from a hip hop group called The Locks. Styles P said it in an interview on The Breakfast Club. He said, uh, it shouldn't be cancel culture. It needs to be counsel culture. Ooh, it's not good. cancel. It's counsel because where are the folks who are making these mistakes? Where, where is their counsel? Where is their brotherhood, sisterhood, where is their support systems um, to kind of school you? I know for sure that if it wasn't for a couple of mentors in my life, that I'd be a different guy. That, I, you know, when I approached the professional world, I came at it at a particular way. And it wasn't, if it wasn't for these couple of black men that said, you know, not here, that's not how you operate in this space, not if you want to be successful, that I would have been a whole different guy today. We wouldn't be here in this conversation, I'm sure of it. But I was counseled, I was schooled, and I was able to understand. Um, uh, and so it, it's challenging. Now, I think that I think there's a line, and I, my hope is that that line is obvious, so obvious that that we don't have to have the discussion. You know what I mean? Right. But yes. um, I recognize everybody's at a different level of development, and that line is not always obvious. So you know, I, I love how you're talking about can, cancel culture and, and the challenges with that because things are gray for people and, and not that you or myself have to burden ourselves with the education, but that we should acknowledge that there should be some room for redemptions and some reprieve if, if that line has not been crossed. Correct, wholeheartedly. Yeah, I, on that, I work with an organization currently who, uh, well, we wrapped up, but um, they had some things that they were had on display that were that were uh, controversial to say the word, um, but they were period pieces. They were relevant to this, the message. Mm -hmm. Folks wanted to cancel those things. And for me, it's instead of canceling it, how can you create an opportunity for discussion? Mm -hmm. Contextualize the art right. we're looking at and, and uh, invite discussion to kind of put into context. So there's many ways we can explore that that I think are relevant. Mm -hmm. 
Kristen, this is, I have one last question. One sure. last question. This has been amazing. So thank you for hanging with me and my listeners. Um, actually, this is a two-part question. Mm -hmm. What are some of your proudest moments as being a member of Girls Cuts of Southern Arizona? And, you know, um, whether in your capacity as CEO or in previous capacities. And then if you could send a message back in time to little Christy about what's coming down the road, what would you tell her? Ooh, do we have, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Take all the time you need. Um, we'll get to your first question of, you know, what have been some of the proudest moments? And um, I will say it is really beautiful to watch our girls transform, our Girl Scouts transform. And seeing them at where they were, and again, I, I have that, that privilege of saying this because I've been with the organization 13 years and some of the, you know, the Girl Scouts that I started with when they were kinder, you know, or in first grade, you know, they're already starting their college careers, but um, watching that light bulb go off, watching them grow, whether it's finding their voice, whether it's being able to look someone in the eye when they previously could not, whether it's taking ownership of, hey, I know how to do this. Let me teach you how to do something. Right. It is priceless. It is absolutely oh, priceless and empowering. Absolutely. Yeah. To be able to see to see them grow and develop into strong individuals. Right. You know, my thing personally as to why, why Girl Scouts, you know, over the years, it's changed as to what has kept me here. But certainly for me, my why is I want to make sure that we equip our girls with the know-how and the grit that as they become women, they can li live life on their own terms. As they become adults, mm -hmm. everything is on their own terms. Mm -hmm. If and when they go to, to, to college, what their career is, what their financial position is, um, who they're in relationships with, who they right. surround right. themselves with, that they are, are living the life that they wanted to. Now life happens, obstacles come your way, but again, where, where it's on their terms. That's certainly what I love to see, why I'm here and, and what I love to see as, as our Girl Scouts grow. Um, that's something really beautiful. I would say something that I would tell my younger self. Ooh. Actually, let me share this. Let me share this because I, it's something that we have embraced here culturally, not only internally as a staff, but with our Girl Scouts. Um, I actually have it right here in front of me. And I will say that this has been the most impactful. Um, I don't know if you, you've already seen this or read this. It's that invitation to brave space written by Mickey Scott Bay Jones. No, I haven't. I don't believe so. If, if I may, if I can read it, it's brief, but I think this is just so powerful. It says together we will create brave space because there is no such thing as a safe space. We exist in the real world. We all carry scars and we have all caused wounds. In this space, we seek to turn down the volume of the outside world. We amplify voices that fight to be heard elsewhere. We call each other to more truth and love. We have the right to start somewhere and continue to grow. We have the responsibility to examine what we think we know. We will not be perfect. This space will not be perfect. It will not always be what we wish it to be, but it will be our brave space together and we will work on it side by side. I love it. The team loves it. 
we've embraced that because as much as we want to work with our Girl Scouts and our staff and our team to say, hey, this is the, the safe space for you. We can't guarantee that. We can't guarantee a conversation won't happen. We can't guarantee that something would be said that, that really shook you or hurt you. I yes. can't guarantee that. But what we can do together and collectively and embrace that brave space. And, yes. you know, going back to, to what I would tell my younger self is just really embracing that and having that courage to, to be able to live in that, in that, with that concept and embrace it. Powerful. And I know that younger you would receive that well, I'd imagine. And, and it, would, it would change a lot of the way we approach life, thinking back in retrospect. And I can really appreciate the, the brave space because it's something I always try to talk about. And it's, it's, it's difficult as a facilitator, as someone who leads a lot of these conversations to ensure anything that's remotely safe, that is out of my control. It's one thing mm -hmm. if I can control the space, especially if you're online, you know what you can do in a virtual setting. Um, but empowering people, giving folks the, the encouragement to step away if you need to, mm -hmm. to, to, to take care of yourself, I think is something we can offer um, right. to be brave enough to say, I need a moment. Because um, you're right, I, I can put up, I can go through a series of slides, one acknowledging racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, et cetera. And chances are somebody might be impacted by what I'm showing, but it might just be one of the four or the five that bother them and not the other ones. Uh, so the, the challenge is, you know, racism didn't impact you, but sexism did, or sexism didn't impact you, but racism didn't. I, it's difficult for the facilitator to say warning on, on every single slide, but it's, it's, it's more appropriate to allow folks to know that they have the the, the empowerment, right, the space, the power to to take control of your own session as you're in the room, um, in your own body and self, and as you're in the experience and do what you think makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Kristen, this was lovely. It's amazing. Thank you for finding some time to connect with me on the chopping block. Before I let you go, um, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, uh, social media, hashtags, emails, podcasts, websites, anything you have. How can people get in touch with you? Sure. Yes. You know, would certainly love to connect again um, with your viewers and, and learn from them, hear from them, you know, collectively have great conversations. I welcome it. Um, phone numbers 520-319-3172. Um, email address is khernandez, K-H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z at girl, G-I-R-L, scouts, S-C-O-U-T-S. SOAZ.org. So welcome that. And I am on Facebook. I am not on Instagram or other social. Shame on me, but you can certainly look me up. <laughs> but I'm sure Girl Scouts is, right? The, oh, yes, absolutely. So, and absolutely. Do, you know, do you know what that uh, at might be? Is it just at GSSOAZ? Yes. Okay, perfect. Beautiful. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for taking some time to join us again on the shopping block. Uh, folks, Sherrod Robbins, Kristen Garcia Fernandez. You're on the chopping block at visceralchange.org.